Welcome to the Podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled Anger Management from our series, Mixed Emotions. Man, if you have your Bible, join me this morning in Genesis, the fourth chapter. Genesis 4, where we're going to read today, the first eight verses. We're continuing our series this morning about mixed emotions. Say that with me. Mixed emotions. All of us experience very strong, powerful feelings in life. And sometimes they're a little hard to manage and stay on top of today. And we're going to continue to look together in God's Word today as we talk about those. We talked about dealing with disappointment. What do you do when you feel disappointed with God and that life has been unfair? Then last Sunday we talked about depression. What do you do when you feel like that the cares and the problems of life have gotten on you with both feet? How do we dismantle that depression? Well, this morning, we're going to move on to the next one. And today, we're talking about anger management. (laughs) How do you deal with the emotion of anger? Amen? I won't tell you how many of you ever get angry because I know that all of us get angry. Amen? So I won't make you embarrass yourself or lie in church this morning. Amen? Let's just all admit all God's people get mad, right? We all have issues with anger. We have moments when we really struggle to get on the top side of this and live as we ought to live as the people of God. It's an old problem, and we'll look at that together in Genesis 4. One of the oldest problems in the book. In fact, sin in the Bible stems from anger. Amen? Genesis chapter 4. In the spring of 1894, the Baltimore Orioles came to Boston to play a routine game of baseball But what happened that day was anything but routine. The Orioles player, John McGraw, got into a fight with the Red Sox third baseman that afternoon. Within minutes, all the players from both teams had jumped into the huddle and were throwing punches at one another. Well, it didn't stop there because it quickly spread from the field up into the stands. And the the fans began to take issue with one another and fight and brawl in the stands. It got so bad that someone, no one knows from which side, but probably one of those stinking Orioles fans, set fire to the bleachers at the Boston Red Sox field there. The the stadium literally burned to the ground. And not only that, but before the fire department could get the fire contained, 107 houses had caught fire and received damage on that day. It's amazing how one little argument can spread and cause that much damage and, and, and destruction in its wake. But I want to tell you, the Bible warns us, anger is a fire that can cause great damage. And one little spark, one little blow up, one flaring of the temper can do irreparable damage and have far-reaching effects. Amen? It can. And the Bible warns us about that. And I want you to see that with me today. The warfare that we are surrounded with is often emotional and the devil tempts us to respond in a wrong way. I want you to look with me today in Genesis chapter 4 verses 1 to 8. A Sunday school teacher was discussing the Ten Commandments one morning with her elementary students and she explained, honor thy father and mother. And she said, well, that's about our parents. Is there a verse, is there one of the Ten Commandments that gives us guidance on how to treat our brothers and sisters? And without blinking, one little boy shot his hand up and said, yes, ma'am, there is. Thou shalt not kill. 
And all of us who've had siblings, I don't know anything about that. I was an only child. Amen. I had it good. Amen. I didn't have to fight that or them. Um, But everyone who's had brothers and sisters knows a little about that. We can laugh that off, but you know what? The second sin in the Bible is exactly tied to this. And if you've got your Bible, I want you to follow along. Genesis 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance was fell. And Cain was very angry. Say that with me. And Cain was very angry. Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, read it with me, Why are you angry? Do you see it there? Why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word and his people said, Our key verses today are verses 6 and 7, and uh, I want you to see them there, verse 6 and 7. Now the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do what is well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do what is well, sin lies at the door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Wow. I love that. Sin lies at the door. The Hebrew word is more than lies. It literally is the word for crouching. The picture is of an animal that is down on its haunches ready to pounce on its prey. It's a cat ready to grab a mouse. It is a lion ready to grab a gazelle. It is a wolf ready to pounce on its prey. It's a fox about to grab a rabbit, right? It's this idea of a predator who is sneaking up on its prey and at the right moment grabs hold and doesn't let go until it has done its deadly work. Sin is crouching at the door. God warns Cain that his anger has put him in the reach of sin. His anger has put him in a place of temptation. How many of you would admit you're more tempted to sin when you're angry than any other time? Is that a fair statement? Amen. I heard somebody say, don't whip your children when you're angry. My daddy said, if I didn't whip you when I was angry, I probably wouldn't whip you at all. Amen. I mean, you just don't feel like it when you're not angry, right? (laughs) Amen. We are more tempted to sin when we're angry than any other time. The Bible warns us of that. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Do you see that? If you don't deal with your anger, if you go to bed still harboring your anger, you give place to the devil. You put yourself in the reach of temptation. If we have unresolved anger, it often leads us to sin. He warns us that anger is an emotion. Say it's an emotion. In and of itself, anger is not good or bad. It's neutral. It's just something that we feel. We feel angry. Amen. But we, if we're not careful, our anger will lead us into sin. 
Be angry, but do not sin. It's okay to feel anger, but we're not permitted to act on the anger in ways that the Bible says are out of bounds for us as the people of God. This morning, we're going to look at, the, at the, this, this, what the Bible says about anger. We're going to look at different types of anger first, and then the difference between righteous anger and sinful anger. Not all anger is bad, by the way. Some anger motivates us in the right direction, and we'll talk about that. And then finally, how do we resolve our anger once we recognize that we are mad? What do we do about it? Well, let's jump in today. Number one, there are different types of anger. There are at least three the Bible describes in one verse alone. Colossians chapter 3 verse 8, the Apostle Paul writes to the church and says, But now you, say, now you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, and filthy language out of your mouth. The last two are the results of anger. Blasphemy, speaking evil of somebody, right? And filthy language. How many of you know that you're more likely to cuss when you're mad? Amen? Amen. Shay came in one day from, uh, from work, and I had set a weed eater on the trash pile beside the road. And she said, why is the weed eater on the side of the road? And I said, I can't own that weed eater and stay in the ministry. <laughs> Amen. I mean, I, it, one of us had to go, <laughs> right? Amen. I am so thankful for Alan Reed who comes and cuts my grass. Amen. And, and, and I, I've never heard him you know, fuss at his weed eater like I fussed at mine. But anyway, the Lord just gives him more grace than me, I guess. I don't know. Amen. Uh, but the last two are things that are the results of anger if we don't control our anger. The first three words, though, are three different kinds of anger. Do you see them there? Anger, wrath, and malice. Say them with me. Anger, wrath, and malice. Let's take them one at a time. The first word there is the word for anger. And really what it's talking about is resentment resentment. This is the anger. This is an explosive anger. That's the next word, wrath, right? The wrath. You know, you know, wrath is anger, right? That's when you show out. You're so angry, you really display it. But anger, this first word is the Greek word that talks about anger that brews under the surface. This idea of just simmering underneath the surface, this person is angry. They may be able to mask it. They may not display it. But just under the surface, they haven't boiled over yet. They're not at 212, but they're at like 210 degrees. They're just a little bit from boiling over. It's simmering under the surface. They're hot, and they're just about to boil over. They're, they're seething. They're like those pictures in Hawaii, right? Before the, before the volcano blows it top, its top, you see these little cracks in the ground, and they begin to glow orange, right? That's never good. Some of you are married to a person that glows orange once in a while, right? They just have this glow about them. And I don't mean in a good way. <laughs> yes, anger, resentment. What is it? It's this emotion down in our hearts that says, um, I am, I, I'm not happy, I'm, I'm bitter, I, I'm hurt, I'm offended over what you've done to me. And I'm not going to let it go quickly. I'm going to just stew in it for a while. Anger that we stew over. Anger that we allow to sit and simmer and percolate. That's what Paul is talking about. It's resentment. Let's call it what it is. It's the anger that the older brother in the prodigal son story had. He was angry and resentful of his brother who came home and embarrassed the family. And he was resentful of his father for letting the boy come home and receiving him as a son again after he'd embarrassed and brought down the family name. Resentment. 
One day, two monks were walking through the countryside, and on their way, they came to a river that had no bridge. It wasn't a deep river. You could wade across it at waist height, but there was an old woman sitting on the side, and she couldn't and she was afraid to go to wade across, and she was too weak to get over. One of the monks, the first one, volunteered and said, Ma'am, we will gladly carry you over if you need us to. And she said, Oh, I would really appreciate that. So they formed a basket with their hands, and they lifted her up between them, and they carried her across the river and sat her down on the other side. Well, within a few hundred yards... Monk number two began to complain, and he said, I can't believe that. My clothes are dirty. I'm muddy. And a few hundred yards later, he said, my back hurts. I'm just getting so stiff, I can hardly stand it. They walked on a few miles, and finally the second monk just laid down and said, I can't take another step. I'm hurting so badly, I just can't stand it. And it's all because of that silly old woman that we helped back there at the river. The first monk looked at him, and he said, have you wondered why I'm not complaining? The man looked up at him and said, he said, your back hurts because you're still carrying the woman. I set her down five miles ago. (laughs) And I want to tell you a lot of the times the reason we're in so much trouble is because we carry things that we have no business carrying. Something happened five miles ago and we're still bearing the weight on our shoulders. We still carry it in our emotions. We still keep a running list of how we were wronged and what someone did to us. And as long as you carry it, your back will hurt. Do you hear me? As long as you carry it, your back will hurt. You will have emotional pain and you will feel the weight of these things. That's what happens to us. Many of us are like that second monk. We hold the pain over a loved one's head like a club. We remind them every once in a while of what they did to us. When we want the upper hand, we tell them about the burden we still carry because of what they did years ago. We save old emails. We keep old voicemails on our phones. We refuse to delete the old text messages. We read them. We listen to them. We rehash them. We rehearse them. We talk about them over and over again. The Bible says love keeps no record of wrongs. But we've got a little black book in our mind that keeps up with everything anybody has ever done to us. And we want to file that away in case we need to use it later. It's the file cabinet of resentment. It's those saved old files on our hard drive. Over 50 years ago, World War II ended. Hundreds of tons of explosives, however, were still recovered in France 50 years after the fact. Back in 1994, when I was in high school, they ran a story in one of the major magazines that talked about how that 13 people that year had been wounded and two of them killed because explosives from World War II that either washed up on a beach or got hauled in through a fishing net or dug up in a construction site somewhere and these old explosives, their detonator had rusted and somebody touched them and they blew up. Those bombs were placed there 50 years ago and they're just now exploding. And some of us are like that. We are volatile. Things that happened to us years ago, if anyone bumps us the wrong way, we blow up because of our old baggage that we've never dealt with. It is resentment. Say resentment. Resentment brews under the surface. It keeps our anger simmering at 210 degrees. And the smallest little bump, the smallest increase in our temperature makes us boil over on everybody who's around us. 
And that brings us to the second word for anger, and it is the word rage. Say rage. The word that we read in our text a moment ago was the word wrath, right? We know what that word means, the wrath of God. We don't want to experience the wrath of God, amen? That's when God gets enough and just pours out his anger on what people have done wrong. We don't want to experience that. This, In human terms, we use the word rage. It's when anger erupts into a violent explosion of words and emotion and sometimes even physical aggression. A young boy, when his mom were driving down the street one day, and the little boy said, Mommy, why do the idiots only come out when Daddy's driving? <laughs> Road rage. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. We can laugh at our anger, but outbursts of rage can cause great damage to other people. One night a woman went into a revival with Billy Sunday and she was talking to him after service and he preached about anger and she took issue with him that night and she said to Brother Sunday, she said, listen, there's nothing wrong with losing my temper. I blow up and then it's all over. And he said, yeah, a shotgun does the same thing and look at the damage it leaves behind. A lot of us are like that. We say, I blow up, but then it's all over. No, it isn't all over. It's over for you. But it isn't over for the one on the receiving end of your anger. Amen. Years ago, there was a man who, a young man who was, a, who was violent, verbally abusive to his mother. And every time he would say something that made his mom cry, his dad would go out and drive a nail into the post in front of their house he, on the front porch. After years, they finally let the boy go and said, you just can't live anymore if you're going to be abusive to your mom. You can't stay. He repented and came back with his hat in his hand and said, I'm sorry, I won't do it ever again. And he began to turn his life around. And every time he would do something nice or say something respectful, his dad would go and pull one of the nails out of the post on the front porch. After many months, all the nails were gone. But the young man walked and looked, and his dad showed him. He said, son, all the nails are gone. And the young man said, yeah, dad, but all the scars still remain from where the nails once were. We can do damage with our tongue in 30 seconds that we will never be able to repair or take back. Rage, uncontrolled anger, it is a dangerous, violent thing, and we need to be very careful about it. Hear me today. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we have, re we have resentment, we have rage, and then we have the third kind. It is revenge. Say revenge. The word in the New King James is malice. Malice. The dictionary defines malice as the desire to inflict injury, harm, or suffering on another, either because of a hostile impulse or out of deep-seated meanness. In reality, malice usually comes from a motive of revenge. Somebody did something to us, and we are determined to get even, to get back, to make them pay in this life the debt we perceive that they owe us. Amen. Revenge is that determination. Years ago, the story was told of a woman who got bit by a rabid dog, and she made it too late to the hospital. She wait, waited around, and her case was too far gone. And by the time she got there and finally went to see the doctor and told them and realized what was happening to her, they said, ma'am, you're beyond the reach of treatment. Nothing we can do for you now is going to help you. She was terminal. She was going to die uh, with, this, with this horrible condition. The doctor said, ma'am, the best thing I can tell you is 
to take out a list and write down a will and describe who you want your possessions to be left to. Well, she took out a pen and a piece of paper, and she wrote, and she wrote, and she wrote, and the doctor said, you must be a very wealthy woman if you have that much stuff to write down. That's a long will. She said, will my foot. This is a list of people I'm going to go bite. Malice, <laughs> revenge, <laughs> biting back because we've been bitten, right? Yeah, that's the word here. This is the third negative kind of anger that Paul warns us against and says we're not to allow into our lives, amen? Pastor Brian Borgman wrote this, By receiving the forgiveness of God, we forfeit the right to get angry with others and determine to make them pay in this life. If that attitude has ever gripped you, it is evidence that you've never seen the ugliness of your own sin, nor tasted the sweet forgiveness of God. If you are wishing for them to get what they deserve, you'd better be afraid you'll get what you deserve. Amen. Oh, if God dealt with us the way we sometimes deal with those who've harmed us, what trouble would we be in today? You have not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our transgressions, the psalmist said. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is your mercy on those who fear you. Aren't you thankful for the great mercy and grace of God today? Well, there is a fourth kind of anger, and it's not any of these. It's not revenge. It's not, uh, it's not uh, resentment. It's not wrath or rage. It is righteous indignation. It's holy anger. It is being angry in the right way about the right thing. It's the kind of anger that God has. It's the kind of anger Jesus exhibited on more than one occasion. It's righteous indignation. It's anger when we behold an injustice, when we see someone mistreated, when we witness God's righteous laws disregarded or trampled in our society. It is uncorrupt, in its uncorrupted origin, Tim Keller writes, anger is actually a form of love. Did you hear me? Anger can be a form of love. I want to tell you, you've never seen love until you hurt a mama's babies. And her love will show itself in the form of righteous anger. They don't call her mama bear for nothing, right? You hurt those babies and her love will manifest itself against the person who harmed them in the form of righteous wrath. Amen? Holy anger. You'll receive the brunt of it. If you get in between her and those that she's called to protect. Amen? Amen. The only fight I ever got in in high school once. I got in one fight in high school. And that was because the boy sitting across the table from me in study hall said something about my mama. And before he realized what had happened, I'd come across the table, had him out of his chair on the ground. We both got a paddling. And I was so mad I didn't even feel it. Amen. You don't talk about my mama. I have never apologized or repented of that. That was righteous indignation. You don't, you don't talk about a boy's mama. Amen. Don't talk about my wife. Don't talk about my mama. Don't hurt my kids. Amen. <laughs> Why? We are rightly mad when someone hurts those close to us who loves us. There is a right anger. Righteous anger is aimed at the problem, not the person. 
It's love in motion, dealing with a threat or something that we truly care about. In many ways, it can be right. It's anger for the right reason expressed in the right way. It is anger that is controlled, constructive, and corrective. Say that with me. It is anger that is controlled, constructive, and corrective. That's how you know your anger is good anger and not bad anger. Is it under control? Is it constructive? Does it lead to a good outcome? Are you correcting a problem and not just getting even because someone did something? This is the way it ought to be. The problem with most of us is this. Most of us tend to justify all of our anger and pretend that all of our anger is righteous anger. And the reality is it isn't all justified. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control, but often we are not in control. Well, what's the difference, preacher, between righteous and sinful anger? Let's talk about it. Dr. David Seaman said, anger is a divinely implanted emotion. God gave us the emotion of anger, and it's just part of our makeup. You'll never get rid of it. It's part of your hardwiring. It's in your software. It's in your DNA. Closely allied to our instinct for what is right, anger is designed to be used for constructive spiritual purposes. Siemens writes, the person who cannot feel anger at evil is a person who lacks enthusiasm for good. If you cannot hate wrong, it is very questionable whether or not you really love what is right. Did you hear that? If you can't hate what's wrong, it's questionable whether you really love what is right. There ought to be in us the capacity to get mad over certain things. Some things ought to anger us. In a real sense, even God's wrath against sin, his punishment of the wicked, is a form of his love. God loves, so he punishes. God loves, so he enforces his law. God loves, so he avenges those who've been harmed. But what you and I need to remember is it is God's right to do so, not our place to do so. I had a man who got very violently angry one night in church and just chewed some people out. And I said, you don't have the right to do that. He said, well, Jesus did that, said my father's house, and he turned over tables and ran the money changers out. I said, yeah, but that was his father's house. It's not your house. Amen. Jesus had a claim on that house in a way that you and I don't. Amen. <laughs> What was he doing? He was trying to justify his sinful anger in a way that is not permitted in the Bible. Well, how do you know the difference, Pastor? Number one, it stems from different reasons. Say different reasons. We get angry for very different reasons. I know that my anger is sinful anger when, whenever, um, whenever it's focused on the wrong reason. In Genesis 4 and 3, God asked Cain, why are you angry? Did you see it in our text? Cain, why are you angry? The first question we've got to ask is, what is our motivation? What's driving the train of our anger? Why are we angry? Motive has a lot to do with whether our anger is sinful or righteous anger. What is our motive? Why are you angry, Cain? Righteous anger is when I get mad because God didn't get something he wanted. His lordship got violated. His will got ignored. Unrighteous anger is when I get mad because I didn't get something I wanted. My lordship got violated. My will got crossed. Do you see the difference? When it is a clear moral issue and it is something God has spoken about, we have a right to be angry when that expectation is not met. But many times we're just mad not because somebody crossed God, but because they hair-lipped us. Oh, it's quiet in the hole in this church today. Why are you angry, Cain? Why are you mad? 
As Pastor Borgman writes, answers often based on the lie that we deserve to have exactly what we want. Lots of us, though we wouldn't verbalize it, secretly believe that in our heart. That we have the right to get what we want most all the time. And when we don't get it, we get mad over it. That is sinful anger. And the Bible says that we should be slow to anger and not go into that kind of place. Our anger is sinful when it's rooted in pride and self-will. How else do you know that your anger is righteous or unrighteous? Well, not only different reasons, but different results. What comes out of your anger? What does your anger lead to? What is produced by righteous and unrighteous anger? Godly anger or righteous anger produces good things. Unrighteous anger just blows a hole in the side of somebody else's life. James 1, 19 and 20 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let everyone be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Do you see it? Slow to wrath, slow to get angry. Why? Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you see it? My anger does not produce the righteous result God is looking for. Read that line that's underlined with me. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. When's the last time you got mad and blew off the handle and God's will was done as a result of it? When's the last time your temper tantrum resulted in the will of God being affected in a situation? Hmm. And it's quiet. Amen. Put Presbyterian on the sign. Amen. Mercy. When we give way to anger, we never further the righteous goals we claim to be serving, neither in ourselves or in others. Unlike us, God is slow to anger. Unlike us, God remains holy even when he gets angry. Have you realized how hard that is? To be angry and sanctified at the same time? Yeah. God's anger doesn't last long, but his mercy endures forever. Some of our mercy's about that long, but our anger lasts forever. Hmm. Lord, help us. Different results. God's anger is controlled, constructive, and corrective. Mine usually just blows a hole in something. Well, what do we do about our anger before we leave and go eat chicken today? Let me tell you what we do. The Bible gives us some steps to processing our anger and resolving it. Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. All right. Number one, admit it. Say, admit it. (laughs) The Bible says just own it. Admit it. So many of us deny it. Men are bad about this. Well, I guess women are too. What do we say to one another? Are are you mad? No. You could have bit the head off a 16-penny nail with that no. Yeah. What's wrong with you? Nothing. You okay? I'm fine. Mm. Yeah. Well, if I took your blood pressure right now, they'd run you into the stroke unit. You're not fine. <laughs> Lord help us. Your bottom number is what your top number is supposed to be. Amen? Yeah. <laughs> Admit it. Own it. The first step is we have to own our anger. We have to be willing to feel our own feelings and stop denying it or repressing it. When we shove our anger down and refuse to deal with it, our anger damages our own hearts and sooner or later it ends up spilling out on the people that are closest to us. And usually the people that made us mad aren't the people that get the brunt of it. You ever notice that? Amen. Somebody at work makes you mad, you come home and kick the dog. The dog hadn't done anything to you. He's wagging his tail glad to see you, right? Yeah. 
A friend of mine was a state overseer. He came in one day. He found out that um, the, the insurance for the ministers had been canceled. And all the preachers were mad. He had a state minister's meeting and had to break the news that they were no longer insured. He came back to lunch that day and he was angry. And he slammed the door and he barked at his wife. And she reached and grabbed the hand sandwich she'd made him and she snatched it back off the table. And she looked at him and stood there with that ham sandwich and she said, you let me tell you something. She said, I married you and you were a broke preacher and didn't have two pennies to rub together. You just sat over there and smiled at those men in that room and they don't even like you. And you're not going to walk back in here and treat me like this. I came here with you and I'll leave here with you. And one day probably have the privilege of changing your diaper when you get too old to do it yourself. And I'll not be talked to like that. And she slid his ham sandwich back across the table. And he said, yes, ma'am. And he said, I never made that mistake again. He said, I went over and barked at them and smiled at her. Amen. But when we deny it or shove it down, that's what we do. We come home and the people we love the most get the worst part of us. They get the leftovers. That's not fair. That's not right. Admit it. Say admit it. Number two, examine it. Answer the question that God asked Cain. Why are you angry, Cain? Why are you mad? What made you mad? In other words, listen, we need to unpack the, 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 the bag, unload the wagon, get to the bottom of what's driving our anger. Something triggered your anger. Anger is never a primary emotion. It's a secondary emotion. What does that mean? Anger's not the first thing you felt. It's the second thing you felt. Now, a woman can usually tell you why she's mad, and a man usually cannot. If you ask a woman when she gets mad, she can usually tell you exactly why she's mad this time and the last two times, right? Yeah. Amen. If a man gets mad and blows his stack, it's usually over something that looks so minor and he blows his top and you're thinking, Lord have mercy, why did that make you that mad? It didn't. It didn't. It was the straw that broke the camel's back. It was the two degrees that sent him from 210 to 212 and made the pot boil over. And if you ask him in the moment, he probably won't even be able to tell you why he's mad. All he knows is he felt the anger and he missed what he felt first. We have to slow down and unpack our own heart and realize what made us mad. Answer the question, Cain, why are you angry? Some men can't answer that. Well, if, I'm, if you can't answer it, who am I going to ask? You've got to be able to answer that. Why am I angry? What made me mad? Sometimes it's because we felt overlooked or disrespected. I felt disregarded, so I got mad. I felt cheated by this man trying to take advantage of me at the shop, so I got mad. I felt ignored at work, so I got mad. I felt taken advantage of by a mechanic, so I got mad. I felt lied to by my son, so I got mad. I felt manipulated by this person on the job, so I got mad. But you felt something before you felt mad. You felt lied to, cheated, disregarded, disrespected, ignored. What did you feel? Why are you angry, Cain? What's driving the train? You're the only one that can answer that. Because you live inside of your skin. Why are you angry? Say that with me. Why are you angry? Examine it. Get to the bottom of it. Lord, help us. Sometimes we realize after we examine our own hearts that the root of our anger is just sinful pride. Well, I'm mad because I didn't get my way. <laughs> What do you do? Well, the Bible warns us about that, right? Romans 12, 3, I say through the grace of God given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Have a right estimate of yourself. 
Don't think too much of yourself. Philippians 2 and 3, the mind of Christ is this. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others as better than himself. Often when I'm angry, it's because I haven't been doing that. Jesus warns us in the Sermon on the Mount, our sinful anger is like murder in seed form. You remember that? Don't commit adultery. Jesus says, no, don't lust in your heart because those are the seeds that bear the fruit of adultery. And the law says, don't murder. And Jesus says, no, don't be angry with your brother and hold on to that because those are the seeds that lead to murder. Not only do we not bear the fruit, we don't tolerate the root in our hearts. We don't allow it to sit there. We unpack that. Lord, help us. We do well if we ask God to search our hearts. Number three, address it. Say address it. You've got to do something about it. What do you mean address it? Number one, address it in prayer. Come to God first, not last, after you've made a mess. Come to God first. When you get angry, get alone with God and pray the thing through. Admit to God, Lord, I'm mad. This is really bothering me. Unpack your heart to God in prayer. Confess your sinful thoughts, words, and actions. Admit to God that you're angry. Admit to God that there's malice in your heart or you're feeling the motive for revenge. Admit to God that you're tempted to say something wrong, to explode in wrath on the other person. Own it. Say, God, you've got to help me. If you've done something wrong in anger, confess it. And then commit the other person and the situation to God. Commit it to God in prayer. Before you do anything else, get God in the middle of the arrangement. And then what do you do? Well, you not only deal with it in prayer, you address it in person. Go talk to the person you have an issue with. I've had people down through the years in ministry who've gotten so angry with me because I made them address their anger biblically. What do you mean? They'd come to me and they'd be so mad at somebody. Pastor, I want you to address it. Have you gone and talked to them? Well, no, I haven't. Well, then I don't have permission to address it. Who said so? Jesus did, Matthew 18. If you've got a problem with your brother, you go to your brother. Amen. Man up. Woman up. You're an adult. Grow up. If you can't do that, kids' church is down the hall on the right. That's where the people are that aren't grown enough to deal with their anger. We'll put a supervisor over you to help you if you can't love your brother enough to deal with them in a civil kind of way. Vanilla-flavored passies available on the first Sunday of the month. Go on down there. You hear me? We are mature adult Christians, and we can do what the Bible says. And the Bible says if you're mad, walk up, walk in, sit down, pull up a chair, and say, I'm mad at you. If they're bigger than you, sit at least three feet away from them. Amen? <laughs> Deal with it. Go have the conversation. Go talk with the person. Go pour your heart out in humility, in meekness. But be honest and sit down and say, I've got a problem. There's something between us. I don't like it. I don't want it to be there. Can we talk about this? Sit down and have the conversation. And if that doesn't fix it, you are invited then to bring someone in to help you. How many of you know that sometimes after you've tried to fix it and been unsuccessful, it requires a third party? When you are in the middle of an angry situation and you've tried to fix it but you cannot, it's time to get help. It's time to get another brother or sister to go with you. It's time to invite a mediator. Now that doesn't mean you go get somebody and tell them your side of the story and go gang up on the other person. It doesn't mean that. It does mean you go get an unbiased 
Christian to come sit down in the room with the two of you and you both tell your side of the story and they help you sort through what is true and what is just emotion and they help you find resolution to the problem. Address it in prayer and address it in person. Find a counselor or a pastor if it comes to that, but don't just stew in it. And then once you've addressed it in prayer and addressed it with that of the person, finally and lastly, you resolve it. Say resolve. Amen. What do you mean resolve it? Well, <laughs> capture it. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. The reason our anger gets the best of us is because we feed it so much. Anger and resentment feeds on a steady diet of negative thoughts, old wounds that we keep licking, old stories that we keep retelling ourselves, old conversations we keep having. We just keep dredging it up. And the longer we keep doing that, the longer we'll struggle with anger. Our anger grows on a diet when it's allowed to feed on self-justifying lies and stories of painful memories. Quit feeding it. Capture it. Grab those thoughts when they come into your mind. Just because a thought in your head doesn't mean you have to own it and take it. Just because the devil runs the preview doesn't mean you have to watch the whole movie. Martin Luther said, just because the bird flies over my head doesn't mean I have to let him build a nest in my hair. Just because the angry thought comes through your mind doesn't mean you have to claim it, roll it over in your head, and let it feed your anger. Don't let it do that. Capture it. Number two, control it. Say control it. Control it. Yeah, here's the thought. Control it. Emotions make good servants but bad leaders. We, are, we will either master our emotions or they will master us. Emotions are not imperatives. They're indicatives. Say, I didn't take English. I don't know what that means. Listen. They aren't commands that you have to follow. They're just reporting to you what's happening. Whenever you feel angry, your emotions are alerting you to where the battle is raging in your life at that moment. They're giving you a report from the front line. They're not telling you what to do. Your emotions can't tell you what to do. Your emotions can just alert you when something's not right. So listen to the report, but then you go decide how you're going to respond. Mm, Lord help us. Control it. Let no sin reign in your mortal body that you may obey its passions, Romans 6.12. Don't let your anger run your life. Our anger is a gauge, it is not a guide. Say that with me. Our anger is a gauge, not a guide. It's like the temperature gauge on your car. It tells you what's going on under the hood. It doesn't tell you what to do about it. When I get mad, it lets me know there's something not right. But then I have to allow the Word of God and the Holy Spirit to direct me as to what to do about it. Amen. God's Word is the owner's manual. The Holy Spirit will help us. Capture it. Control it. Don't let it drive the train. You're driving the train. And number three, finally, cancel it. Say cancel it. The way you resolve it, at the end of the day is by choosing as an act of your will to let it go. Let it go. The Bible word for that is forgive. Forgive. Forgive whatever grievances you have against one another, the Bible says. In the end, once we've taken it to God in prayer, once we've addressed it with the other person to the best of our ability, we have to make the hard choice like Queen Elsa in Frozen to let it go. Let it go. Turn it loose. Lay it down. 
Abraham Lincoln had a secretary of war named Edwin Stanton. One day Edwin Stanton had been disrespected by one of the officers underneath him. He'd been accused of showing favoritism and giving one man a spot that he didn't deserve. And Stanton was so mad that he'd been accused of that, he wrote this guy a blistering letter. Really let him have it in the letter. He came back in and read the letter to Abraham Lincoln. And Lincoln looked at him and said, well, good, that's a good letter. He said, what are you going to do with it? He said, I'm going to mail it to him. He said, oh, no, you're not. He said, you don't want to mail that letter. He said, now listen to me. It's a good letter and you had fun writing it. Now go throw it in the stove and write another letter. Write the letter that you ought to write. It's been said that Abraham Lincoln had a habit of doing that. When he was angry, he would sit down first and write the letter that he wanted to write. And then he'd throw it in the fire. And then he'd write the letter that he ought to write. Some of us would do well to do that. Have the speech in your head and then have the speech that you ought to have. Do you hear me? Some of us need to let it go. Say, let it go. Get over it. Delete the old voicemail. Erase the text message. Make a list or take the one you've already made and burn it. Let it go. Stand with me all over the Lord's house. I close with this. Many years ago when uh, John D. Rockefeller was leading the Standard Oil Company, one of his top executives made a decision that cost the business $2 million. You can imagine once the news broke that next day, nobody wanted to go to John Rockefeller's office. They were all afraid they'd catch the fallout of his anger over this bad business decision. Everyone except one man, and he was one of his equal partners, so he wasn't scared. His name was Edward T. Bedford. Bedford was a partner in the company. He kept his appointment that day. And he expected he'd walk in and hear an angry tirade by Rockefeller about the employee that had cost them the $2 million. Instead, when he walked in, he found Rockefeller with a notepad and a pencil, feverishly writing as fast as he could. Rockefeller looked up at Bedford and said, Oh, Bedford, I didn't see you come in there. He said, I assume you heard about our loss. Bedford said, Yes, Mr. Rockefeller, I heard. I heard about what happened. He said, What are you going to do about it? He said, well, I've been thinking it over, Rockefeller said. And before I asked the man to come in and discuss it, I've been making some notes. Bedford told the story this way. Across the top of the page was points in favor of Mr. And he filled in the blank with the man's name. There followed a long list of this man's virtues, including a brief description of how a few months earlier he had helped the company make good financial decisions. On three separate occasions, he had led the company to make a choice that caused them to earn three times as much as he lost. Mr. Rockefeller had that list in hand. And he said, you know, he'd helped the company so many times, I'm going to let him stay. Wow. He cost you $2 million, yes, but on three occasions he made me six. When we're angry... It is so easy for what the person just did to us to erase in our minds all the good things that they've done. Isn't that true? I mean, in that moment, whether it's your child or your spouse or your friend or your coworker or your pastor or your member or whatever it is, it's easy in that moment when we're hurt to forget 
And we do well to go home and make out a list and say, these are all the good points in favor of Mr. or Miss So-and-so. And write that list. And you might be surprised that even with them, their good outweighs the bad. And before we blow up, we might want to remember what we'd be losing if we didn't have them in our lives. Listen to me today. People are more than their worst 10 minutes. There's more to people than one bad decision they made. There's more to people than the worst three months of their lives. There's more to people than that. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't write us off like that? Amen. Give the Lord a hand to pray. Aren't you thankful? I'm so glad Jesus didn't write me off because of one bad or a hundred bad decisions that I made. Ben Franklin said, whatever's begun in anger ends in shame. <laughs> Albert Einstein said, anger dwells only in the bosom of fools. Ooh. Elizabeth Kinney said, he who angers you conquers you. Wow. Lord help us. Paul said, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted forgiving one another just as God in Christ forgave you. He said, put it away. Say, put it away. The word means to take it off like you take off an old dirty shirt. Like you take off your work boots when you come in from the house. Put it away. Take it off. Stop wearing it. Do you hear me? Stop wearing it. Amen. It just follows around like an old dirty shirt, right? I'll never forget when one of my sons, who shall remain nameless, to protect the guilty, came in one day and he'd gotten a shower and we walked by and we're like, man, you don't smell like you got a shower. I did. I got a shower. And I looked at the shirt and I said, and what did you put on? He said, well, I put my shirt back on. You can't get a bath and put the same dirty shirt back on, son. It just doesn't work that way, right? And some of us who've met Jesus as Lord and Savior are walking around with a shirt of anger over what somebody's done to us. Listen, you've had a bath. Now take the shirt off. Put it away. Say, put it away. Put it away. Take it off. Get rid of it. It doesn't, it's not becoming to you as a Christian. It's not fit to be worn as a believer in Jesus. Put it away. Every head bowed, every eye closed in the Lord's house today. What kind of madman or woman are you? Are you battling resentment? Is it rage? Do you just blow your top and explode and say things you shouldn't? Is it revenge? Are you determined to make somebody pay in this life for the pain they caused you? What is the next step for you today? Do you need to admit it? Stop justifying it as righteous anger? Do you need to come clean before God and admit that it's just pride? Do you need the Spirit to help you examine it? Get to the bottom of what's driving your anger? Like Cain, do you need to answer the question, Lord, help me understand, why am I such an angry person? What have I not dealt with that's under the hood of my own heart? Do you need to address it in prayer? Do you need to address it in person today? Is there a phone call or a visit you need to make this week? Is it time to call in some outside help? Is there some relationship so broken that you know that you're not going to be able to fix it without a friend in the middle to help you navigate it? What are you going to do about it this week? Are you ready finally to let it go, to get over it? Are you ready to burn your angry letters, delete your old emails, strike a match and put your list in there? 
Edward Herbert said, He who cannot forgive others breaks the bridge over which he himself must pass. For every man has need to be forgiven. Reminds you the words of Pastor Borgman we read a moment ago. By receiving the forgiveness of God, we give up the right to get so angry with others that we decide to make them pay in this life. If that attitude has ever gripped me, it is evidence that I have never seen the ugliness of my own sin or tasted the sweet forgiveness of God. If I'm wishing for them to get what they deserve, I'd better be afraid that I'll get what I deserve. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiveness is about the past. Reconciliation is about the present. Trust is about the future. But it starts by letting it go. Maybe the reason you're so eaten up with anger and consumed with resentment is you've never come face to face with your own need of Jesus. Have you seen the ugliness of your own sin before God? Have you ever tasted the sweet forgiveness of God? Have you known what it's like to have your own sins forgiven? You see, instead of throwing back into our faces all the pain and hurt we cause God, God became human in the person of Jesus, drank down every drop of the cup filled with our sin and wickedness, and instead of spewing back hatred, He breathed out love and from the cross prayed, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. And if you ever kneel at the cross and receive His pardon, if you ever feel the crushing weight of guilt roll off your shoulders, you will have experienced the miracle of grace and you long for others to experience it too. Have you been forgiven today? Because forgiven people are able to forgive other people. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know that's it. I've never known the forgiveness of God. I've never come face to face with my own sin. I've never seen the ugliness of what I've done to God. I've never repented and confessed it. I've never asked Jesus to forgive me. I've never made things right between me and God by trusting in the cross of Christ. If you're here and that's you and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me today? You just lift up one hand and say, Preacher, that's me. I need, I need to be saved. I need the forgiveness of God. Just being honest today. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor... I'm a believer. I have received that forgiveness. But I am so struggling with this issue of anger today. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, will you just pray for me today? I need God's grace to help me get a grip on what is simmering under the surface. Maybe it actually boils over and you say, Pastor, it's not just under the surface. I flat out struggle with bursting forth in anger and spewing it out on other people. Words, emotions, maybe even physically. If you're here today and you say, Pastor, please pray for me. My anger is not under control and I need the help of the Holy Spirit today to get a grip on this emotion. Instead of controlling it, it's been controlling me. Pastor, will you pray for me today? Just being honest. Yeah. 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 And maybe today you say, Pastor, can I be honest? It's not boiling over anger, but it's just this, this quiet resentment under the surface. It doesn't spill over, but it's always there. It's always underneath, just brewing, just waiting to get out. Pastor, I need the Holy Spirit to help me unpack my own heart. I need the Holy Spirit to help me deal with some things that are driving the train of anger. You hear? Yeah. Yeah. Can I tell you today, I want to pray for us. Can I also tell you as your pastor, my door is open. If I can help you, come see me. Call and book a time. Let's get together. 
Don't let this eat you up and hollow you out. God has more for you than that. God has better for you than that. You don't have to live like that. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, and he'll use anger as a chief tool. But Jesus came to give you life and give it more abundantly. You don't have to live mad all the time. You don't have to live mad all the time. There's help for you. There's hope for you today. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, there's some friends in this room who've been honest enough to say, Lord Jesus, will you help me today? Lord, I'm admitting my own anger. I'm admitting my own unresolved resentment, malice, feelings of revenge underneath the surface. And Lord, I I confess today that I have not dealt with them rightly or well. And many times instead of controlling them, they've gotten the upper hand in my life. But Lord, I'm asking today for your strength. I'm asking for you to help me in the days that are ahead to unpack my own heart, to admit it, to lay it out, to answer the question, why am I so angry, to get to the bottom of it, to find out what's going on, to let the gauge of anger lead me to some self-discovery about what's really hurting and broken in me. And Lord, I pray today that you would give me the grace to do that. Lord, I pray today that you would help me to come to a place of wholeness and healing so that I don't live like this the rest of my life. Lord, so that I don't finally one day just boil over and hurt those closest to me or just hurt people at random. Lord, help me. Set me free. I want to be healed. Touch me and make me whole today. Help me to work through this. In Jesus' strong and mighty name, God's people said, amen. Chad, lead us in one chorus. If you need to pray, the altar's open. If not, I'm going to dismiss us today. But let's worship the Lord before we go and ask the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you are blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org, join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.